0: Yeah, let's open up to Jeremiah chapter six. It's, it's really where we left off last week. Um, we're picking up very much literally with the text that we ended last week as we jump in this morning. How's everybody doing? How's the Christmas and sugar crash happening at everybody's house? Ours is in full swing. I think everybody slept through the night last night for like the first time. But they also didn't make it here right now, so that's probably not a good sign. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen for you. Um, But just to say, too, uh, we've had numerous people drop off a handful of brand new Bibles. And let me just say, if you do not have one, if you do not have one, we want to give you one. So we'd love to connect with you later. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to make sure you have one, and that's free to you, it's a gift from us to you. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter six. Jumping down right to verse 16, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I'm gonna grab this other mic. This is popping way too much. We just give you praise right now. We just pause here in in the silence. God, you are the one who quickens our heart to life. I, I I could deliver this absolutely perfectly, but nothing compares to your presence. So Holy Spirit here this morning, we just turn our attention to you. And Holy Spirit, would you awaken our hearts to life? Would you awaken our hearts to life? Amen. Uh, The historian Barbara Tuckman described the 14th century as the calamitous 14th century, real positive word. The Black, pa- uh, Black Plague had wiped out over a third of Europe, and the political systems at that time were in an absolute disaster, nothing like what we see today. Ha-ha. <laughs> it's okay, we can laugh. Most lived, honestly, with this massive sense of uncertainty and fear, not knowing if the king or queen currently sitting on the throne could potentially take everything from you, including and potentially even your own life. And unfortunately, at this time, the church in most of Europe was in a very similar state. Instead of being a beacon of light of Jesus to a dark world, the church actually looked far more like the rest of the world around them. Depending on what pope held authority at that time, you could walk into a place of worship at any given day and discover a new law was passed and you had to swear allegiance. Or you were burned at the stake. It's not too much to say that at this time, it was a very dangerous time to be alive. It was a corrupt time. And the way of Jesus, to put it quite simply, was in shambles across most of Europe. But God was also on the move. A young boy named Thomas would bang on the doors of a monastery, desperately looking for a better way, a good way in the midst of all the chaos that he saw around him, just the young boy a young boy named Thomas. Now, this boy, we now know as Thomas Akempis, who if you know him at all, or his name from the past, he wrote probably one of the most influential books of that time, The Imitation of Christ. A book urging people to come back to a life fully devoted to Jesus. In times of deep darkness, there is a way, and his name is Jesus. Thomas and those around him, men and women alike, had their hearts set on one thing and one thing only, to seek the Lord even when others wouldn't. When the world and the church began forgetting the goodness of God, a few became hungrier for the goodness of God. Now, I could tell you story after story of men and women throughout history who would seek the Lord even when others wouldn't. When the world was falling apart and when even the people of God, the church, had forgotten their way and left God's presence behind, they they committed in their heart one thing. They committed in their heart one thing. I will seek the Lord, no matter the cost. Is that this popping or is this this? You did? Lovely. Love that. And friends, they did this by coming back to the radical way of Jesus. They gave their lives wholly to follow Jesus. When the church around them was in compromise, they came back to the way of Jesus. When the church around them did not desire God, they allowed Jesus to show them how to cultivate a deep desire for the presence of God. If I could could make it really simple, they, they basically made room for Jesus. They dropped everything and God began to awaken a deep desire for his presence in them. Because the incredible thing is this hunger for God, this deep desire for the presence of God in their life and in your life and in my life is found in the life of Jesus. The good way we are searching for. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They took these words from Jesus and very simply built their whole lives on this one truth, that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. The good way, this is what we're calling this series. And between now and Easter, we are going to unpack and explore in detail what it means to cultivate a deep desire for the presence of God. And why I believe, and many of us believe, this is the call to the church in such a time as this. And here's a roadmap as to where we're going to be heading. And what I'm going to say right now, we're going to to unpack this in detail in the weeks to come. But we're going to look at what it means to know God, to seek God, and to commit ourselves to his good way, in love and in obedience. And we're going to do this by doing the same thing we do all the time as followers of Jesus. We're going to look to Jesus. We are going to let Jesus very practically and very truly be our way. Very simply, if I could say it right now at the very beginning of this series, Jesus is the ancient path. You're probably gonna to need to take the echo off that because that's gonna, oh no, that's good actually. Very simply, Jesus is, actually, you know what? We're gonna stop. We're gonna stop for a second and we're gonna pray. Because so I'll be honest, this has been keeping me up most of the week and I really think this is a word that God really wants us to hear and technology doesn't want us to say it. So I'm just gonna pray. How's that sound? God, we just give you full control in this place today. Holy Spirit, you reign. Holy Spirit, you reign. No power of hell or scheme of, of man can ever take that from our hand. So Lord, right now, we just pray, may your good way reign supreme in this room today. And we take authority in the name of Jesus. That Jesus, you light up the darkness and no power can stand against that. As I said, Jesus is the ancient path. Jesus is the good way. But we must follow him. As I said last week, it's one thing to know that the good in front of you, but it's a whole other thing to actually set your foot on the path and start walking. The reality is we are all on a path. That is a fact of life. Whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, our life is a path before us and we are taking steps in every moment down that path. The real question becomes what path are you on and where is it leading? And let's be honest for a second, we do not live in a time in history where the world around us is cultivating a deep desire for the presence of God. <laughs> like When we look outside the doors of our house or even in this building, if we look around the culture around us, that, that, is, not a, that is not a reality. Most people are not asking, hey, you know what, I, I would really love to learn how to cultivate a deep desire for the presence of God. As a society, we are, we are doubting many truths that past generations have held on to. We are asking questions about truth and sexuality and identity that, if I could be honest, is taking us to some pretty scary places as a culture. And this has caused many people at a very real level to, to leave the church and to leave following Jesus altogether completely. And on top of that, many have lost trust in the church, and honestly, for good reason. It seems like almost on a monthly basis, there's another church scandal or another pastoral scandal. The story too often becomes that the pastor falls to the temptations of power or money or sex or some strange combination of all of those. And honestly, in times like this, what what is the invitation to the church? In in times like this, what, what is the invitation to those of us who say, yeah, in spite of all of that, though, Jesus is still good news In spite of all of this, Jesus is still the way, Jesus is still the truth, and Jesus is still the light. But what do we do? Many of us, it can can feel quite crippling. How, How do I follow Jesus in times like this? The beautiful thing about history is you can go back and discover hidden truths that we may have left behind. While Bonhoeffer was in Finkenwald in a time where the German church united with Hitler and the Third Reich, instead of remaining faithful to Jesus, he wrote this to his brother. The restoration of the church will surely come from a new sort of way which has in common with the old only the uncompromising attitude of a life lived according to the Sermon on the Mount and following of Christ. I believe it is now time to call the people to this. I believe the same invitation is before us today. We must ask for the ancient paths, the good way found in a life of discipleship to Jesus and walk in it. But how did we get here? How how did we get to a point like this? And for that, we're gonna go uh, go back to our text in Jeremiah and we're gonna spend the majority of our morning right there. Now, forewarning, I'm going to do a very quick summary of about that much of your Bible in about five minutes, maybe 10. So the reality is, friends, there are gonna be some gaps. (laughs) I am not gonna cover everything. But let me just say, as Pastor Andrew already hinted to, if there are questions in the gaps that you have, write them down, remember them, jot them in your phone, because that is a fantastic thing to bring to deeper tomorrow night. Jeremiah was living in a time where the people of God had lost their way. God's people, the Israelites, they were living in the land that God had promised them. And God, God had made them a great nation just as he promised he would. And God had given them one purpose. There was one purpose for God to have made them such a great nation. It was one purpose. They were meant to be a beacon of light in the midst of a dark world. And what set them apart from any other nation in the world was this. They were marked by the presence of God. They had made room for the presence of God. And this goes all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It says this, I will make you into a great nation. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, the the ESV translation says this just a touch better. It says this, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It's interesting what just two words changes that a little bit. There was a reason God was blessing them so that they would be a blessing. But these people had to be set apart. They they couldn't live like the rest of the world around them because the world around them was full of violence, hatred for one another, all stemming back to this moment in the garden when Adam and Eve stopped trusting the goodness of God and instead left his goodness behind. God wanted to reestablish his good way through a people, but they had to be committed to his good way. God's people would be a living invitation of God's goodness to a world desperately searching for him. And very honestly, this is why the Ten Commandments were such radically good news at the time. They weren't these rules from a cruel taskmaster God. They were very practically what it looked like to live into God's God's goodness. There's a moment in Deuteronomy where it says that God gave them these commands so that they may live to follow and trust what God said is good. Listen to this. Many of you probably know what I'm about to read right now. This is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates i don't think god meant any of these things to be casual (laughs) that's pretty all-encompassing isn't it my goodness this this was to be life for them This was the new way God was establishing in his people. But then check this out, because verse 12 is really interesting. Verse 12 says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's easy to forget sometimes, isn't it? Eventually, they forget the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. Other things began to catch their eye. They they had made room for the presence of God to be the one thing that set them apart to say, God, we will love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. But then other things began to catch their attention. Other things began to take room in them. Greed. Jealousy. Lust, selfishness and pleasure, murder and violence. And instead of being set apart, they actually started to live just like everybody else around them. Basically saying, thanks God for establishing us as a great nation and thanks for your presence and all this great stuff, but I I think we're good. I I I think we don't actually need you anymore. But in spite of all of this, another young boy began to seek the Lord. It's interesting that it's children. A young boy began to seek the Lord. He began to make room. Second Chronicles 34 says this, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his father, David. He began to seek the Lord. Josiah began clearing the idols. King Josiah, I forgot to say this, just as a record, he's eight years old. He had no one to guide him. His father, do you notice this? I'm just going to tangent for a moment because I'm going to nerd out on this. His father was not David. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Okay, if his father wasn't David, why did it say Father David? He went back, did not define himself by the sins of his father. He went to the righteousness of David and said, I'm going to align myself with that. Eight-year-old boy, hey, something's not right here. I'm going to go back and see what we left behind. He began to seek the Lord. In a very practical level, he began to make room for the presence of God in the temple that was now filled with idols from all the other cultures around them. He literally went in and just started tearing them down and throwing them out and say, this has to be the place where God's presence dwells. Now, I just want to encourage you. I don't have time to get into this, but if you want to dig deeper into this story with King Josiah, my goodness, that's a great place to park yourself for a while. Second Chronicles 34 and Second Kings 22. Those are Two fantastic places to dig deeper into the story. I think, let me just speak for a second. My goodness, what a word for our time. That's all I'll say. That's a whole other teaching. But this is all great and good. God, God God was able to have room again in his temple, in his dwelling place amongst his people. But here's the thing. The people's hearts were still far from God. Yes, they were making room in the place of worship, but the people's hearts, they were still crowded with idols. The temple, God's dwelling place was cleared of idols, but more needed to happen. And this is where Jeremiah comes in. At the very same time of all this reform happening in the temple, God begins to speak through the prophet Jeremiah, calling his people to not just reform the temple, but to actually reform their hearts that's fantastic that you made room in the temple, but I want you to make room in yourselves. And God says this through the prophet Jeremiah to the people. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What a picture. They had traded the living water of God's presence for muddy pools. And you might think in this moment, God's probably just going to walk away. Fine. You guys don't want me. That's fine. I'll just see you later. Good luck. But that's not what God does because that's not who God is. It's how God invites his people back. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. God is basically saying, you are now in this moment, you are at a crossroad. There is now a fork in the road and here is the invitation. Don't keep going the way you were going. Stop at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is, but don't just ask for it. Walk in it. A better way to understand the ancient past, that can be a little bit misleading. What does that mean? The better way to understand ancient is actually eternal. It's like what Jesus said when he mentioned eternal life, the most real way, the most true way. Even though they had stopped seeking the Lord with all of their hearts, even though they had dug their own muddy pools instead of drinking from the deep living water of his presence, God was actually inviting his people back. In his goodness, in his love, in his mercy and grace, God says, come back to me. Come back to me. But the tragic part of honestly, this whole verse, which we don't like to throw up when we quote this, throw up, that was a terrible way to put up throw up. When we post it on Facebook, that's a better way to say it, is how verse 16 ends. Because this is the real tragic part of this whole story. This is how it ends. But you said, We will not walk in it. It's a real pick me up, isn't it? It's one thing to know that the good way is there for us to walk on. But it is a whole other thing to set your feet on the path and start walking. It's like when you're driving somewhere and you are certain you know the way. You don't need a GPS. You don't need a direction. You know the way. So you start driving. But then the uncomfortable reality starts to set in. I don't think I recognize any of this. <laughs> But you know what? It's fine. I know the way. I know where I'm going. This is fine. It was just, you know, they cut down some trees. It's fine. <laughs> but then things start to look really unfamiliar. But it's also at this time when the person in the back seat says, do you actually know where you're going? And I just want to let you know that thing that you do, it's really working. So if you're a backseat driver in the room, just keep it up. We really enjoy what you do. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's so true though, isn't it? In our stubbornness, we don't stop and ask. We just keep going. But we just get more and more lost the deeper we go. Until in the end, we actually have no idea where we're actually going at all. All of a sudden, we're on the wrong path altogether. And friends, it's at this point, the only way out is to be found. Eventually, Jesus... God in the flesh, the light and the darkness would come into the world. The living invitation of a life filled with the goodness of God. Jesus will come and say powerful truths like this. I am the darkness. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. Friends, everything he said, everything he did was a living example of how God was actually this good. He was healing the sick. He was giving sight to the blind, bringing hope and joy and peace and love to those who were desperately in need of it. He was a living example of the ancient path. He was and is the ancient path. But then he would say this in Matthew 11. Now, pay close attention to the words, because this is one of those verses we can just read and say, yeah, I know it, but just pay attention. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Does that sound familiar to you, that one line? It should. Jesus is quoting directly from the prophet Jeremiah when he says, ask for the ancient paths, the good way and walk in it. And what? You will find rest for your souls. Those listening to Jesus in this moment, when they first heard this, their ears would have perked up. Oh, we know that. We know what Jesus is doing right here. They would have seen that. That wouldn't have just been some, oh, that's a neat thing you said, Jesus. Let's put that in a book of poetry. This was, this was like, oh my goodness, did Jesus just say that? We know the prophet Jeremiah. We know what he said to the people. We know God's invitation and he's in front of our eyes. Jesus is saying right here, I am the ancient path. I am the good way. I am the fulfillment of all of this. And friends, here's his invitation right here. And it's so simple. Follow me. Follow me. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I'm going to sound like I'm on repeat this morning, but that's okay. It's one thing to know the good way of Jesus is there for us to walk on but it is a whole other thing to set your feet on the path and start walking. The poet uh, Mary Oliver, she wrote this, attention is the beginning of devotion. Think about that for a second. Attention, what, what, what we give our eyes to, what we give our mind to, what we focus on, what we dwell on, what we go to often. Attention is the beginning of devotion. Devotion. Interesting way to put that, isn't it? Um, this, this, this sentence right here became very real for, for me maybe two Januarys ago. If, if you, and I've, I've talked about this before, but if, if you had looked at my life at that time, there was nothing terrible happening. There was nothing going on. Things were good. You know, I loved Jesus. I loved pastoring this church, as I still do. I loved Jesse, and I loved my kids. I loved being a father and a husband. But, but my spiritual appetite, my, my desire for the things of God and, and an increasing awareness of His presence—if I could be honest with you—and I've said this before—it it, it was relatively mediocre. Like, it was okay. It wasn't gone, but but the fire—I could be—I can say right now the fire was burning quite low. And all of a sudden, it was just like it hit me like a like a freight train that January. I wasn't asking for this, but God all of a sudden just made me so aware of the fact that there was so much more for me than just a mediocre experience of his presence. And this just hit me like almost the best way I can describe it was like a restlessness. There was was this sense that I was missing, there was something there for me and I was missing out on it. It's like fear of missing out in something in life and then multiply that by like infinity. That's what it felt like. And so I just started to ask some people that I trust and older leaders and pastors and, and people that I love, older men and women, and just say, what's going on? I, I don't know what this feeling is. And the encouragement was, why don't you ask the Lord? Makes a lot of sense. And so I did. God, what, what, what's going on in me? It's like I'm missing something, but I'm getting pulled into something all at the same time. What is that? And the beautiful and yet humbling thing is God began to show me. And the truth was, of just hindsight's 20, 20 right? You know, I, if I could put it very honestly, it was like I had actually, actually made very little room for any kind of cultivating desire for the presence of God to actually happen in my life. There wasn't any room for him. It's like what Jesus said in the, in, to Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. I was worried and upset about many things in my life. A few things are needed, or indeed only one. And then Jesus says this about Mary, who was sitting at the feet of Jesus Mary has chosen what is better, and it will never be taken away from her. It's like God was asking, John, honestly, no shame, no condemnation, but just reality here. John, is there actually any room for me? Like, have you actually made room for what you actually desire the most? And I'll be honest, that question just wrecked me. Because the truth is, God is not going to force me to desire more of him. God is not going to force me to want more of his presence, because that's truly just not love. If if Jesse forced me to love her, is it really love? No, love desires to make room. And as God started to show me what was taking his place in my heart, I simply just, well, not simply, that's not true. I started to let go of these things. And again, talking about it right now, makes it sound really cute and easy. It's not. And it started about two or more years ago. And if I could be honest, it has just never ended. But what I began to discover in this, something that John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York, put it very very perfectly, honestly, in my opinion, he said this, God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. And what I found is that God began to awaken a deeper desire for him in my presence, or more of his presence in my life. So what I found was once the kids went to bed, I started to grab my Bible or my book or a journal instead of the remote. What I found was I didn't really have the desire anymore or as much to dig into junk food at night night to just make myself feel better. And what I started to say is, man, God, what can I give up to have more of you? And fasting just became just this normal rhythm of life. I just found, it was like God's presence became so clear. I was talking to my friend Adam about that yesterday. Giving up snacks and meals in order to pray and cultivate a deeper desire for God in my life. I got rid of Instagram because if I could be honest with you, everywhere I looked, all I saw was temp- a sexual temptation, no matter where I looked. And I just said, I don't need that in my life. Well, if I just, I don't, why don't I just not have it? And all I saw on Instagram was this, this life that I needed to create myself to, for people to think, oh, John matters because we can see it on, no. As it says in 2 Chronicles that we are reading, just like what Josiah did, I began to seek the Lord. To practically clear out space in my heart and say, God, I actually want you more than any of those other things. Are they in and of themselves wrong? Is there anything wrong with a tree? No. But when it takes the place of God in my heart, then yeah. Is there something wrong in and of itself with Instagram? Not necessarily. But if it begins to rule my heart then yeah god you are what i'm actually longing for when i go to these other things when i go to shopping to make myself feel better i actually am longing for you i'm just going to something else and god i want to make room for what is my deepest desire you and so i am going to make room for you And it's in this season that Jeremiah 6.16, what we just read first thing this morning, became kind of a stake in the ground moment for me. The amazing thing was, is this wasn't on a stage while I was preaching. This wasn't when I was leading some leadership class or a kids program or a youth program. This was in the intimacy of my own heart when none of you were looking. The Holy Spirit began to speak in such a clear way. And that's amazing. But the other thing was I started to listen. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to actually listen. And it was like the whisper came, John, ask for the ancient paths. John, ask where the good way is and walk in it. And the truth is I had to say no to many things, so many things. But what I discovered was in saying no, God showed me the life I was actually searching for. An eternal path, a deep desire for his presence was actually the life I was looking for. See, I, I can, I'll be honest with you. I could, I could preach a decent sermon. I could run a few programs at Lighthouse Church. I could build a platform. I could maybe even write some books. And I, I could, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but this is, I could do those things without a deep desire for the presence of God. I could. I could. But if I want to see lives transformed on Grandma and if I want to see my kids grow up in a house where they see their father grab their Bible first thing in the morning instead of their phone, if I want to be a husband who loves Jesse just like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her, if I want to see... Addiction gone away with. If I want to see heaven become fully aware of on gram and in, if I want any of those deeper things, I need the presence of God. I can't, I can't do any of those things just because I grew up as a pastor's kid and then went to Bible college. That's not enough. It's not enough. I need God to awaken an unquestionable desire in me for his presence and nothing less. And nothing less. And here's the thing, friends, you and I are as close to the Father as we choose to be. Ugh. <laughs> That's, oh man. That hit me this week, and I wrote it down. I'm like, oh man. It's so true. You and I are as close to the Father as we choose to be. I, I could have ignored what God was inviting me into. And let me tell you, there are days that I have to choose to seek the Lord. Listen, at 5.15 and my girls are ticked because I said no to treats for breakfast and one of us has the flu again, I am not sunshine and rainbows. Like just honestly, I am not in a great mood. (laughs) I'm grumpy, I'm tired, I'm irritated. And the last thing, honestly, in my own John fleshly desires, what I wanna do is not grab my Bible and pray. Honestly, I want to grab my phone, I want to scroll, and I want to numb myself, and I want to disappear. Because that's actually easier, isn't it? But Jesus set me free from a version of life that defines itself by that. Jesus said, that's not actually life. There is something better for you. Jesus came to show me life and life to the full. And so I disrupt those places even when I don't feel like it. God, here I am in my funk, in my mood, and my bad attitude. And you know what works amazing? Pray the Psalms over yourself. Psalm 16, Lord, you are my portion of my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. In you, I have a delightful inheritance. That's the truth, not what I feel. Or Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. God, I am parched, I am dry. I don't need to numb myself, I need you. As it says in Hosea Hosea 10, break up the unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord. I make room for my deepest desire, the presence of God. John Piper wrote this. Yeah, that's right, John Piper. Uh, John Piper wrote this. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. Does that make you squirm in your skin? Because it does for me. I think that reads our time in history very well. Honestly, I was too busy. I was too self-indulged. I was too distracted to even acknowledge that my desire for God was burning low. And I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only one. Many of us are too busy, too distracted. And if we were honest, we probably don't have time to seek the Lord like we're reading about in the Old Testament. And I, I don't say that to provoke any kind of shame or guilt. And that's not why I'm doing, I'm, I'm just, isn't that true though? If there's one thing I heard more than probably ever before this past fall is one word and it starts with B, busy. Because I said it too. I was busy doing many things and no wonder I felt so drained by the end of it. I made very little room to hunger and thirst for the presence of God do we actually have time to make room for a deeper desire for the presence of God in our lives? But friends, God is calling us full of love and full of grace. This is not a condemnation filled This is an invitation. This is an invitation to what is real life, to make room, to seek the Lord like Josiah did, to hear the words of Jesus, come to me and let me show you the good way. But here's the question at the very beginning of this series. And we're going to end here in a second. Here's the the question at the very beginning of this. Have we made room for him? Have we made room for him? As, As a church, but also as individual people in the church, how available are we for God to actually come and dwell maybe another way we can ask it is, how available are we for God to actually come and do what he wants to do? And let me just say this, over the last year or last several years, many of you have done exactly that. And listen, I can see it. And it is phenomenal to watch as your pastor. There are some of you who have cleared your schedules and made room to be in the prayer room on Wednesday mornings or on Thursday nights or a combination of the both. And God has awakened in you a deep desire for Him in prayer. And listen, I see that. And here's the invitation to you this morning keep going. Keep going. As Paul encouraged those in Ephesus, the church of, in Ephesus, he said this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Keep going, keep fanning the flame that God has ignited in your heart for his presence. Don't stop, but also don't settle, don't settle. There are depths to the wells of living water we haven't even touched yet. And that sounds good. It's another thing to grab the pickaxe and start digging. But for some of you, this is a crossroad moment. This may be a crossroad moment. Not a crossroad of shame, not not a crossroad of condemnation, but an invitation. A crossroad. Just like God began to do in me several years ago, God is calling you to make room for him. It's a cultivated, deeper desire for his presence. To make room for what he's calling you to do. You and I are as close to the father as we choose to be. The invitation is wide open. What's our answer? Maybe for you in this season, it means going to bed earlier so that you can wake up a little bit more alive and come to the prayer room Wednesday mornings. We meet there every Wednesday morning from six until 8 a.m. Listen, some of us stay for the whole time. Some of us have five minutes and that's awesome. You come and you sit and you pray and you soak in the room for five minutes before you go to work. Amazing, do that. Or maybe for you, it means saying no to something on Thursday night so you can make more room to be in the prayer room on Thursday nights at, from six until seven. Maybe you've only got five minutes. Maybe you've got 15. Start there. Start where you are. Some of us where we were talking about this week, sometimes we feel like we've got to dive headfirst into like the deep end and like, I need to fast 70 days and I need to, I need to, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'm gonna read Leviticus. Start it, just start where you are. (laughs) Start where you are. No one has actually given me that example. That just sounded extreme to me. Listen, I am not inviting us as a church into some rigorous life of like taskmaster rules. No, I am inviting us to taste and see that the Lord is actually good by making room. I'm making room. Start where you are. Friends, he is a loving God, a loving good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. We're going to talk about that more next week. If that's true, then he has good gifts for you. He has good gifts for me. So ask him. Make room. Maybe for you, this past fall just kicked you in the face and you're starting January and you're exhausted and you're fried and you're just like, I don't know what rhythm of life that was, but all I know is if that continues, I'm done. I know that's some of you, cause we've talked about it. Listen, Jesus did, not I said this last week, Jesus did not come to make your life more busy. Do you remember his promise? He said, come to me all who are weary and burdened. He didn't say, come to me who are weary and burdened and I will make you more weary and burdened. No, he said, I will give you rest for your soul. In other words, I will give you what you're actually looking for that has made you so weary and burdened trying to find it, but you can't, come to me. I'll quote again, what John Tyson said earlier or what I said about him, God comes where he is wanted. If that's true, then the real question is, how badly do you want him? 1% is better than 0%. Start where you are. Thomas Kempis made room. Diedrich Bonhoeffer made room. John and Charles Wesley made room. Mary, the sister of Martha made room for Jesus the earliest followers of Jesus, they made room for him here on this island. Friends, this is not some far-fetched thing in history. Grandparents and great-grandparents on this island made room for the presence of God. And people flooded the church. Why? Because God began to come where he was wanted. When God's people made room for him to come and dwell, he goes, oh yeah, here we go. It is my joy to come. They disrupted the comfort places, the stagnant places, the dried up muddy pools, and instead made room for a deep hunger for the presence of God. They decided, I will seek the Lord even when others wouldn't. Friends, I believe we are in such a time as this. Brenda already prayed it earlier. Would people come to know you? because God, your people started to make room to know you deeper than we do right now. Mark Sayers wrote this, and then we're gonna go into a time of response. I also believe that God is looking for a people amongst whom he can dwell. His kingdom comes to those who hunger and thirst after his righteousness, therefore, Throughout history, we observe a pattern. When we cry out to him, when we repent of the ways that we have ignored him and pursued our human driven plans of renewal in our own strength, when we take a posture of contending for his kingdom to come with power, we see that he moves. Another way I can say that is when we make room for him, he is faithful to do what he promised. And so here's the real simple invitation. As we begin this series, that's gonna last us a number of weeks. And if God wants us to go further, we will. And again, maybe for you, this is what the work God has already been doing in you the last couple of years and I can see it. Keep going, keep going, keep going, don't stop, keep going. But for you, maybe you're, you're at a crossroad and you're like, John, that's where I am. That's where I am. I don't know where yet, but all I know is I need to make room. We'll get into the practicalities and the step 10 and step 15 and step two and whatever down the road. But this morning is all about this. Will we make room for what God wants to do? The world has seen enough of what people can do in building a church. We need a better way. We need the presence of God more than we have him right now. And the invitation is open. How badly do we want?